Pleasant Mr. Bates, Episode 11, The Master of Despair. Starring Aubrey Lydon, BJ Ingate, Micah Riley, Kate and Caleb Jones, Megan Grayling, and written by Chester Lydon. These are the final few episodes of the Ever Pleasant Mr. Bates, and they are best enjoyed wearing headphones. I hope you enjoy. Despite the morning light, no warmth reaches the earth that Mercy's Creek has been laying upon. You walk on hard, cold ground, your breath pluming in front of you as you exit the rental car and begin making your way to your destination. Some of you spare a look off into the distance. Great plumes of smoke still emanate from Salem's Lodge. Dark, grisly, black clouds of smoke. We move over the brown and grey fields to reach the local church of Mercy's Creek. You guys know, even from a distance, that there is something very wrong here. You continue walking, though. As you do, tuck, your eyes are drawn to the Hampton Mansion far off in the distance, across the rolling fields. It is dark and foreboding. You remember all the ghost stories you would all tell each other about the Hampton Mansion. In these moments of waking terror, they seem so trivial and small yet not unimportant. Suddenly, a connection is formed in your mind, and you look back at the smoke plumes that represent the death of the Salem estate. The Hampton Mansion, despite the fact it is little more than an old skeleton of a house, is now the last of the great three mansions and estates that called this place home long before the town was built in their collective shadows. As you walk, you look across the fields to the small shack that was Frank Hill's home. No morning whisper of smoke from the chimney today, nor ever again. 
As you push open the metal gate and walk up the stone path, you see that the graveyard has been dug up. Gravestones overturned, and every single grave has been dug up completely. Piles of earth stand all over the graveyard, and dirt has coated the path and has been stomped down. Mud and clots of clay have torn up the grass. This is a brutal sight, unearthly, deeply disturbing, almost apocalyptic in its nature. You move past, turning your eyes away to escape the brutality of your current circumstances. Buddy, you remain, staring at the graveyard. While the others, you notice something that draws you up to the church itself. Over another gate and up another path, the front door has been smashed open. Shards of wood remain in the old hinges of the door. Furniture appears to have been blocking the door and its shattered remains are dotted around the entrance. You take careful steps into the church and it is a grisly scene indeed. The pews have all been pushed to the side, creating a clearing in the centre of the church. The carpets peeled back from the flagstone flooring. There is very little that remains of the father. His torn robes lay in bloody piles around the room. Bones licked clean in puddles of blood. As you step into the room, the horrors grow more palatable as you see the display. Over every square inch of wall and even the ceiling, words have been written in the father's blood. They begin to brown as light pours in through the stained glass windows. They too have been smeared with words. The same words written over and over and over. Some large, some small, but always the same. We found you hiding. We found you lying. Choking on the dirt and sand. As you step into the room, eyes darting over this horrific display, I'd like you guys to roll everyone except for Bud, because Bud's outside. Just to see who finds it. Seven. D12? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a four. In the old church office, you find a note left by the father himself. It reads, They're at the doors. They chant my name, but even now I feel at peace. I accept no promises of heaven from the likes of man. Many have come and many more will come. Promising all, but they are little more than human desire-fueled mirages in this desert of belief. Hold fast those who remain. Be true to your ideals. Stand. They are coming. But my heart is still. Father, forgive, for they do not know what they are doing. Outside the church, buddy, you have stepped through the gate and around some of the dug-up graves towards a few that have drawn your eye. Towards the back, an older grave, Floyd Tibbet. It has been turned over on its side. In front of of that, a grave you've visited many times. Ruth Overhead. And then there is a gravestone you have never been to before. In fact, one you never even knew existed. The newest of them all, maybe not even a month old, Stella Humphrey. That, that seems about right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. 
I'm gonna take the note from Tuck and like read it mm-hmm. and kind of think about that because that's a challenging concept for Tully to kind of wrap his head around because the whole reason he gave into Bates is because he wanted peace and escape and now he's seen you know the mutilated body of someone who was attacked by people who made the same choice and reading that is understanding that what he thought was the answer is very clearly not it's just kind of reading that over and over and then he hands it back to Tuck and probably like walks outside and sees Buddy and I'm going to walk over um, Liv is also going to read the note but she's not going to take it out of Tuck's hand she's just going to kind of peer over the shoulder and read mm-hmm. okay right well I guess that means there's nothing for us to do here let's um prioritize the living for the hopefully still living mm-hmm. general practice uh yeah we might need to go get buddy and tully from outside though yeah okay all right the two of you trapes out do you spare a look back in yeah yeah the stained glass is some of the only colour it feels in the world at the moment. Everything feels grey, everything feels cold, but despite this grey light as it casts through the stained glass windows, the inside of the church is illuminated in just a rainbow of colours. Despite the grisly words slathered all over it, they seem to not affect the light as it streams in. And you take a second to enjoy the colours before continuing on. All right, are we ready to keep moving? Tully walks over to um, to Buddy probably before you guys come out or as you're coming out and he's about to like go and say something and then he reads the, the name on the grave and he's kind of standing there like, do I, do I say something? I don't know. You never met her, did you? Is that, is that your, yeah. your mom? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, I never. I don't think any of you ever did. No. I mean, I, I barely met her myself, really. Um, she she lived here, right? Yeah. In the town? Yeah. She wasn't here too often. She would often go out of town. And, oh, okay. Uh, especially around uh, the the time around when Floyd died, uh, with, the, with the killer there. Um, but she left you here. Yeah, she did. And then I left here as well. So, um, right. Did you know? I I did not know. No. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, yep. Cool. Uh, hey, Tully. Um, yeah. Weird question, but do you think a man as powerful as Mr. Bates can raise the dead? (sighs) Tally looks up into the trees, is like lost in thought for a second. You know, I hope not. I don't think so, but I... I hope not. Me too. Me too. 
in a way, that'd be nice. But sorry, hang on. in what way would that be nice? Um, I, I it's shot. at this point that Tuck and Liv are around yeah, like, okay, that. are we going? <laughs> I, I shot Willow, remember? Yeah, but if they come back like the current townsfolk, um, that'd be much worse. All right, losers, we're going. Come on, losers, we're going shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Shopping for souls. Oh, gosh. Alright, is there um, anything else we need to do? <sighs> Nothing we need to burn. Well, there's no bodies here, so I don't think... Um, no. I, think I think we're done. Yeah. Yep. Um, while they were inside the church, would there have been like any clear crosses anywhere that's like smaller handheld, considering that it's Father Brunswick, I'm guessing this is more like a Catholic based. Yeah, Catholic yeah, I suppose. Um, I'd say there'd be <laughs> not much about uh, the decor of Catholic churches. I'm gonna say there's a lot of crosses. I'm gonna say candles. there's a big beefy like wooden one at the front. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm gonna to say there's a few. A there's like a little box of handout small little ones <laughs> that you put on your neck. That's not a thing. Like the, the it's not a thing. Craft, they would definitely have like ones for the kids. Oh yeah. To yeah. And I'd probably say there were, yeah. And I'd say there were probably stuck up ones on the wall that like kids had made and like written names on. Oh yeah, stuff for the people who'd gone missing. Made, ones made out of paper they like stuck to walls and stuff like that. Oh uh, yeah, that's, um, be, yeah. but yeah, um, roll for it. If you roll high enough, you get one. Okay, cool. This is um, not Dungeons and Dragons. This is uh, video games. Um, <laughs> I'm not. It's fine. Just be continuously circling until I can throw. <laughs> Ten. Okay, you get a crucifix. <laughs> it's up to you what type. Uh, <laughs> a pointy one. A pointy one. Really murdered BJ. Okay. <laughs> a weapon one. <laughs> There's not going to be a weapon one. Ah, I see. I rolled an at 12. Could I have that giant, like, weapon cross <laughs> weaponized? Let me put my shotgun down and get this piece of wood. Can I get that crossbow crucifix? Yeah. <laughs> I would love it if the wooden one on the wall was actually They call it the Samaritan. I think in, um, I'm not sure where it is. There's some, or there's, something. Yeah, there's some movie. Is it like um, Constantine? Yeah. With, Constantine with, with the um, shotgun crucifix. <laughs> what? Nice. Um, okay, you grab a crucifix up okay. before you leave. Um, is that everything you want to talk about at the church? Yeah. Nice gamers. Okay. <clears throat> Let's roll out. Hold on very quickly. Oh. Natural 12. Oh, so Tuck, you do like, No, no, Tuck's looking around. And he can still spy some red spray paint on some things. Still there. You guys pile into the rental car and you take off. So this is the road that's, this isn't Joiner Avenue. Joiner Avenue is the way to get to the Hampton Mansion. This is the road uh, west of that. So you take it down and you arrive in the uh, western side of the main street, basically. Uh, it is a strange sight. Life is happening here. People are walking to and fro. Shops are open. There are no real people in the shops, but shop fronts are open. Open signs are flipped. There aren't many people on the street. Most people seem to be avoiding direct sunlight, but Mercy's Creek is operating, and as you drive, there is a ever-creeping feeling down your spine of being watched from every direction. 
you make the decision quite quickly to turn back off the main street and you decide to take the long way heading around town basically to get to the site like the back of king's general practice to avoid being in view for as long as possible you curse the fact that you have a bright yellow rental uh, <laughs> that's probably quite loud now too it's quite it loud it's, <laughs> yeah it's, it's got shattered windows on one side um yeah still some buddies now just okay guys just level with you level with me for a second do you think this is a good idea to drive a bright yellow rental do you think i'm gonna get the, the bond back <laughs> i think it's a lot better than walking true true but you know i, I, I... we can see if there's anything that we might be able to jump start at king's general yeah i suppose so it's probably fine you... car backfires <laughs> <laughs> you uh you park the car alongside uh king's general practice it's on like the road leading into the main street and you guys hop out what are you guys going to do you've seen king's general practice you know this area very well king's general practice is a it's a double story um, brick building the general practice is on the second floor the first floor is kind of it was a shop front it went out of business so now you have to take steps up to it um just why have we come to king's general practice again fabian fabian you guys left fabian here right 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 um, so Tully draws his pistol, uh, makes sure it's loaded, and he's like, all right, I'm going to do a circle of the building, make sure there's nothing in, and then let's go in. I'll go in first. Just we, keep an eye out if anything sure happens. Are to do this? Yep. Yep. All right, all right, all right. And then I'll try to cock the rifle that I'm holding. <laughs> <laughs> you realize it's a bold action. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> hey, talk. Okay, no, you grab this thing yeah. like this and you yeah. pull it up, pull it back. All right. Yep. yep. That, that ejects the shell and then you push it forward. Yep. Yep. And then click it down. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you do it with your fingers, not your palm. Right. Fingers. Okay. Be gentle. Yeah. Okay. Tuck um, is stretching roll the elastic. Roll. Tuck is stretching the elastic on his uh, slingshot. You do it, but you get a splinter because you're oh. pushing with your palm and your palm's rubbing against the I thing. I said don't. Like, fingers, ah. fingers, buddy. Come on. All right. All right. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna do a walk around the building. Yep. And roll just for whatever I see. Of course. Do I add my intelligence to this? Sure. That's just as well. Uh, that's a nine. Okay. Um, it's quiet. Usually there is a few people sitting out on the bench out front, but you're kind of thinking, from what you know, these things are rather supernatural, so they probably don't really need. A, sure. A doctor. Um, King's car isn't here. Cheryl's car isn't here. Uh, Jack Finney's car isn't here. Is not- there like? Are all the doors open or locked? So the front door area is always unlocked because that leads into basically a public staircase. Yeah. The door actually into um, Kings. Sure. Will most likely be locked, but you haven't gone up there yet. Okay. But like, it's literally one of those ones where it's wood, 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 glass, like frosted yeah, glass, sure. so you can just smash it. Yeah. Like that's not gonna be a problem. I'm, I'm more just checking for like back entrances where we could get cornered. So there isn't really a back entrance. Okay. The there used to be a like a fire ladder, mm-hmm. but that was removed yep. because. And you think back, there's like oh, that's probably because of us. Yeah, <laughs> we abused the hell out of that ladder to get away to like yeah. to get around town. <laughs> okay, so there's no um, like there's no ambushes being set up. There's no back entrances. There's no like not what you can find. Um, yeah, this is generally a quiet area of town. This is one of the last areas of town before like 
there's a big gap and then the like the um, gas station and then just the highway. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the quieter areas of the main sure. street and it's already ten times quieter than it normally is. Okay. So Tully walks back around and he's like, alright, everything looks clear and doesn't look like there's anyone here. There's no back way in or anything, so we should be okay from things on the outside getting in. We just gotta watch our backs. So it's just if anything's in there. Um, so I'm going to walk up to the front door and oh. open it. Liv would and... have thrown the crucifix through the glass. <laughs> no, I'm just like, I haven't got Doesn't to the glass door knock. yet. Doesn't even knock, just throws. Um, so I'm going to walk through and I want to hold my, or like prepare my action for my gun because I'm yep, holding it expecting yep, So you'll go, something. you'll go first if there's any combat. Yep. Um, Tuck is readying the hammer. Okay, cool. Um, so you're all going in? Yeah, Liv will take in second position after Tully. Okay, she's got a crucifix Uh, in one hand and a knife in the other. The the rear. There you go. With the gun at the ready. Yes. Okay, you go in. Do you close the door behind you to like, like Uh, avoid the fact that you're here, or you not want to block yourselves in like that? Considering that the yellow rental is outside. I think Buddy would still close the door. Very politely so. Okay, just close the door. You guys start going up. It is very quiet. Is there a fire extinguisher in the stairwell? At the very top. So basically it's a very thin uh, stairwell that goes up, 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 up. And then there is like a a fake pod plant, a fire extinguisher, and the door opens up to cover the fire extinguisher. Okay. Because it's very well designed. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Just taking note of that. Okay, so you guys start to go up the stairs. It is quiet. These are they're like it's like fake marble stairs. It's that type of era, mm. like the pebbly fake, mm. like oh. uh, super smooth, icy mm. cold steps. Mm. Um, they don't have much grip on them. You're going up. You're going up. You're going up. She's um, squeaking. Who's going first? Uh, Tully's in front with his gun out. I'm going to say because you're so focused, roll disadvantage. This isn't combat thing. Okay, this is just a general. Yep. That's a three with disadvantage. Three. Unless I add intelligence, but just um, No, so you're reading up, you're you're going up, so you're reaching the door, you know, just uh, Tuck's eye line on the, the fire extinguisher. Uh, Tuck, could you roll for me as well with disadvantage? Three. Okay, yep. Um, <laughs> There's someone need- standing behind the door. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> um, the glass door. Yeah. I hope they don't see me. The two of you are preparing to, like, breach the the door yep. uh, Tully's getting positioned uh, Tuck you're going around to open it you uh, just smack the hammer <laughs> yeah you no, it's like it's locked bring the hammer took it off and you just jam the ha- like the handle of it in and twist it nice and unlocks and you're like mm, nice and nice and stealthy <laughs> <laughs> they'll never know um, it's a trick I uh, Olivia what are you doing <laughs> Um, Olivia is kind of exploring the downstairs area to see if she can find anyone who's injured and hiding. Uh, okay, you're walking around there. It's you can only you can only look through the glass. The door is also locked there. Uh, it's just completely empty. It's locked. Um, it's concrete floor, like polished concrete floor. It's dusty. It's gross. You can't see any footprints in the dust or anything like that. You're like, yeah, this is you're you're trying to think back to what this was. And you're like, I think. I think this was like a rival cafe or something for like people who go to the general practice and they come and wait down here or something like that. Uh, Cause there's like a few pew, there's like a few like um, booths mm-hmm. still in there, but yeah, other than that. Okay. Uh, but he's just going to uh, tuck and tell you up the steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to kind of just stay halfway 
up the stairs so he can kind of still see Liv, still see them and just be uh, looking around to see if anything's suspicious or anything. He's kind of got that big adrenaline rush. So. Cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, Tuck, you open the door and you push it open and Tully, you head in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the two of you head in. Uh, roll for me with disadvantage again. Mm-hmm. Oof. Six with disadvantage. Six. Nat one. E. Nat one. Okay. Um, okay. So, Liv, you are looking around down here. You look up at Buddy, you know, like you're shrugging to him. You're kind of like gesturing at the glass, like, do I break it? What? And you hear a thud. From downstairs or upstairs? From upstairs. She looks up at the ceiling, looks at Buddy. And then you hear another thud. Uh, Does Buddy hear this as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Live, live. She Here, runs now. towards him, knife and crucifix <laughs> at the ready. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're going to go up the stairs and try and look, keep the distance from the door and like slowly try to see if we can, mm-hmm. like holding rifle up, pointing to see if we can. Crouching down. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, roll for me with disadvantage again, both of you. Okay. You're both going up. That's probably a three. That is a three. Oh, that's a nat one. Oh, that hurts me my, so much. My God. Is disadvantage. Everyone's been rolling really bad. Especially um, yesterday as okay. well. Um, all right, Olivia, you like scamper up these steps, you reach the door, and buddy, you watch her just immediately fall to the ground. And you start to slow as just this sweet smell oh, fills no. your nose. And you start to go bleary. And you fall forwards onto the steps, unconscious. The smouldering remains of the roof of Salem's Lodge collapses in as the third and second story finally break into each other giving off a cascade of sparks that move and dance in clusters all around the figures in the desolate, blood-splattered car park. The rotating neon sign is giving off an electric buzz as it is jammed mid-rotation. There is a cracking sound as the light flickers and dies. The shadow moves across the laid-out bodies. The shadow stops as the woman dressed in black leans down and places her carved pumpkin down next to the dead. She leans back up and pulls her two hatchets from her belt loops. Emily and Pevensey have begun to spread out to either side of the car park as Weaver steps off the grassy strip he had been laying on and onto the concrete facing the mysterious woman. A hunter in the flesh! A little underwhelming if I'm being totally honest, but hey, you've done a pretty good job. Well, more things considered. Honestly, I'm a bit of a fan. Now, uh, this last part of the job might have gotten a little messy, but don't worry, that's not really your fault. Plans change. Tell me, what's brought the attention of a warden all the way out to a little town in the middle of nowhere? Well, who else but Mr. Bates? The embers encircle them both as they stand with a ten-metre distance between them. Emily watches the woman closely, her sword at the ready, waiting for things to turn south. So the Harbinger decided that his hunters weren't going to be enough then. 
decided he needed to pull another rabbit out of his hat. Eh, not really. You know Harbinger Weaver. Well, you know the stories. I know him personally. She looks down at the body of Orlando, Florida. He takes things very personally. And he's very quick to hold a grudge. This layer has escaped his attention for a pretty long time. Well, until Ilios, humanity's best and brightest, decided it was a good idea to smash a hole from their layer into his. Can you imagine the ego? Will humans thinking they have any right, any sway, on the realities outside of their own? It was an affront to the order, to the rule of law. They drew his attention, sure enough. Now, you know the rules. A shepherd has no authority on the layers outside of their domain. Unless something becomes a threat to the layers. Unless... Unless someone like Bates, a forefather, became powerful enough. Creating the perfect scapegoat to give him a reason to step into the affairs of another layer. Has eluded the power of the shepherds. So that's why you're here. You're making sure everything works out. That Bates gets the persona. That they corrupt him and turn him into the monster you need. A big enough threat to allow the Harbinger to get even. More or less. I do as I'm bid. Weaver opens his arms and stares at her. Look we're doing as I'm bid, got me. Weaver, Weaver, Weaver. If you volunteer to play in the game, you've got skin in the game. And sometimes, that skin gets torn. So now you're here to kill me. Basically, yeah. No loose ends. The hunters are done. The harbinger doesn't need anything like that anymore. So you're a product of a plan that's run its course. But hey, considering you're the last hunter, you did a pretty good job of it. She spins her hatchets before brandishing them. And slowly, gruesomely, she slowly slides the blades across and up her forearms, blood gushing out as she slices through her veins and skin. She then holds them down towards the ground as the blood begins to run in little rivers down her arms and hands and across the handles and over the entire hatchets. Slowly, the cuts on her arms seal closed but the blood from before remains and it starts to smoke a dark red smoke blooming out in thin tendrils whipping around her Weaver tilts his head slightly before holding out a hand to Emily and Pevensey making it clear to stay back he looks at her as this smoke begins to colour her skin a blood red from the arms up She smiles at him. A good job. Do you have any idea how much I've sacrificed to get here? The friends I had to leave behind. The brothers I had to cut down. The trusts I had to betray. The homes I had to burn. The amount of myself, my own soul I had to cast aside. He cracks his neck as Vesper appears beside him. They both draw their swords in unison. 
You're supposed to be on our side. You're supposed to be helping us, not them. And then Vesper steps into Weaver. And there's a crack and a blinding light as a bolt of pure white lightning strikes, hiding Weaver from view for a second. As quickly as it came, it goes. Weaver stands, half bent over, smoke rising from his slightly singed clothes. He straightens up and opens his eyes. They glow so brightly that it shone through the skin around his eyes. Electricity hummed and his hair began to rise up like there was an updraft. His clothes ruffled and billowed. His sword shone like it was made of pure light. Rocks and pebbles around his feet rose slightly off the ground and about him the air itself shimmered like on a road on a hot day as the very power emanated from him blasted out. Huh. Amazing. So the corrupted persona truly are nothing compared to a true persona. They really had been limiting you all this time. <laughs> Shame it's not going to be enough. Weaver ran his hand across his sword. Tell the Harbinger he can keep his praise. He does not rule this realm. He does not call the shots. And you tell him this. The two of them brace, about to spring. I will not be the last hunter. And they blast forwards. At least, you think they do, Emily. Because they are moving so insanely fast that all you can see are the sparks that are given off as their weapons collide. The rest is simply a blur. Every time they connect, there is a blast of air that pushes you and Pevensey back. The dark red shape is darting around the car park like a pinball, leaping from car to tree, moving in flashes, trying to attack Weaver from every direction. Weaver mostly remains in the very center of the car park. Dipping, sliding, repelling, acting like a brick wall to her attacks. He was clearly not as fast as her, but with the combined strength of a true persona, his sheer power gave him enough to go toe-to-toe with her. She launched herself from a car to the Salem sign before streaking down towards him. He took this small moment of time to draw back his sword, which began to glow like a nuclear reactor, the shimmering effect going stronger around him. There was a brief moment, like a freeze frame, that Emily saw them both. The warden almost entirely stained red, black and red smoke billowing out from behind her as she slashed from above at him, and Weaver stood, swinging the sword to meet her, closer, closer, before... Emily and Pevensey, you two are blasted back as an explosion echoes out, tearing up chunks of concrete whole trees and a whole half of one wing of Salem's Lodge. The Warden Weaver are both blasted back, crashing into the torn up ground. They clamber to their feet and fling themselves back into the fight. Emily, you blacked out for a moment as you crashed into the ground and you were woken up by Pevensey pulling you up and shaking you as more crashes and booms echo through the countryside. We need to do something. 
but I think they're both beyond us. Emily, you take a moment to think as Pevensey says this. The ringing in your ears makes it difficult, but something the warden said clicks in your mind. Pevensey, I don't understand much of what they're talking about, but it seems clear to me that whatever she is, she's not from here. They were going on about different people having different powers and control over different places, which may mean if we can contain her, if she's not from here, maybe we can banish her back to wherever she does come from, like a spirit. Pevensey nods a few times. True, true. Uh, We're able to banish poltergeists and wraiths, spirits of that sort, and all the like, due to the fact that they're bound by a set of laws, laws for their existence that make them separate to us. So if she is from another realm of reality, then similar rules might apply to her. She pulls off her backpack and pulls from within a long silver chain. All right, good. If I can contain her, can you perform some kind of banishment? Can you make her leave? Pevensey shifts from one foot to another for a moment, looking at the utter destruction coming from the two fighting, before looking back at her with a steeled look in his eye. I think so. If you can buy me a moment, I'll take care of the rest. Emily nods before rushing down into the cracked and ruined concrete of the car park, over small channels that have been carved into the ground, over flattened cars and around small mountains of turf and dirt that have all been caused by this battle. You duck as Weaver parries one of her slices before punching the warden so hard in the face she is thrown through the mounds of dirt that you just climbed over. Weaver, keep her contained. Weaver sees the silver chain, nods, and kicks the burning remain of a car out of the way to create a bit of a clearing for you. In a split second, the wooden is back and they are both starting to slow down. They aren't complete blurs now. They're still moving faster than you've ever seen someone move in your life, but you can keep a general idea of what's going on. You can see more details. You hurl yourself behind a crushed car as one of the warden's wayward slices tears up huge concrete chunks that clatter all around you, each big enough to crush your skull. You pull yourself back up and run around the side of the car. You see her flipping over Weaver, sparks flying off as he deflects two of her slices. She lands on the ground and slices his legs. He jumps and kicks her twice in the face, once with each foot before swinging his sword down as he falls, forcing her to dive to the side. She brings up a leg as she dives and kicks him in the chest, knocking him back into a car you were just behind, bending the door in. She's on top of him already and swings her hatchets down. He rolls out of the way as she slices through the door. She swings at him again and he rolls once again. He swerves, jumps, and blocks. But he isn't pushing her back anymore. He's keeping her close. Emily, you see your opportunity and you hook the ends of the chain together and you fling them. You see her eyes click over to the side, seeing it. She bends her spine so far back to avoid a large swipe of Weaver's sword. She clicks her eyes back to him and charges forward, going low and stabbing the hatchets into his side. He coughs and falls to his knees as the chain falls a few inches behind her, just missing her. She smiles as Weaver coughs again. She digs the hatchets in and looks at Emily. The future of Tyr, right before my eyes. Much more impressive than this old lump, even if you are only human. Such a shame that it'll all come crashing down all around you. If it's not the Harbinger, then someone else will rise up. This layer is shepherdless after all. 
position of such power won't be left unfilled for long. Weaver coughs again before looking at her, drawing her attention away from Emily. You're clearly a little young for this. Hold the speeches till you've actually won. He says as he stabs his sword through her stomach and pushes her across the border of the chain. She stumbles back and bounces off the other side of the chain like there was a glass wall that ran all around it. She grabs her stomach, which is already starting to heal. (sighs) Dirty trick. Anyway, she begins walking towards the front of the chain circle that she's now trapped inside. Pevensey! Pevensey comes and stands side by side with you, looking at the woman. He slowly reaches out both of his hands. I've never done anything like this. I know the theory, but the practice is different, especially when it's staring you in the face. The warden cracks her neck. Fine. We do it this way then. She smiles wide. and She hooks her hatchets back onto her belt and reaches out with both hands, mirroring Pevensey, standing only a few feet away from him. And she holds out her hands. As her fingers begin to cross over the line of silver, sparks start to dart around and smoke begins to peel away as her fingers begin to burn away to the bone. But she is slowly pushing the chain forwards, getting closer to Pevensey. Come on, Pevensey! You have no authority here, creature. May the Lord see your deeds. (laughs) You're like children singing a nursery rhyme she says as she pushes her hands fully against it, burning the hands away till there's just bones as she presses her face against it as well. Her nose burning up and the flesh around it burning as she pushes closer and closer to Pevensey. This is not your land. The earth beneath your feet shall receive you no longer. If it's not me, then there'll be someone else will come. Something else will tear everything down. Whether it be the Harbinger or anyone else, none of you will make it out. None of you will survive. Hold your venom. Sheath your sword. Return home forevermore. She gives out an almighty shriek as smoke plumes out from her, the entire flesh burning away as the silver circle snaps closed and the silver chain itself dissolves into ash. And there is an echo out of her scream. And she's gone. The three stand there for a moment. Soon, Vesper separates from Weaver, who sits down on a large rock to catch his breath. He holds his sides and looks down and sees that they have healed, somehow due to Vesper's power. Pevensey sways before collapsing to the ground, unconscious. Hey, you like Dark Tides? We like Dark Tides. And the best way to show that you like Dark Tides to us who also like Dark Tides is by joining the patreon.com slash dark tides. The best place to support the show and tell us all your things about how much you like the show and even to get even more of the show, including a Discord, post shows, bonus episodes, all that type of stuff, even a bonus episode coming out very soon that is DM'd by BJ, which is heap of fun. But... The amazing patrons that we currently have are the reason why we are able to do this show. So I'm just going to uh, run through them. The incredible people that bring it to you every second week. We've got Robin, Bailey, Amanda, Erin, Jacinda, Emma, 
Evelyn, Adorable Nico, Faye, Sarah, Kevin, Zach, Leah, Stormkey, Jake, Stephanie, Kira, Colin, Stephen, Nathaniel, Undercommon Arts, Number 27, The Schnacky Boy, Flower, Addy, Jewelita, Daswood, Red Panda, Lexi, David, Mikal, Glennis, Jason, Spixie, and Angela. These are the incredible people who make this show happen and allow us to keep doing it. Uh, we also have a Discord, which they're all on, or at least a, a bunch of them are on, and they have amazing fan arts and all that type of stuff. It's a great time. And if you would like to support the show and join in this community, head over to Patreon patreon.com slash darktides but before we get into the rest of the episode we actually have something pretty special to show you wake of corrosion is a horror audio drama set in a nightmare ridden apocalyptic england join professor ryan in a bunker a12 as he uncovers the story of two brothers who head out on an off-grid camping trip only to discover the world around them is not at all as they left it Wake of Corrosion is available wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to the whole of Season 1 and 2 now. If you'd like to support the show and hear their miniseries, Letters to Shadows, check out their Patreon at patreon.com slash wakeofcorrosion. But here is a little trailer. My name is Professor Ryan, located Bunker A12. Over the course of these broadcasts, I will be sharing with you the story of two brothers, Roman and Elliot. <clears throat> Let us begin. Off grid. For a week. I really hope we've got the balls to see this through. You all set, brother? Aye, aye, Captain. Onward into the unknown, then. Left path first, I think. Single meteor just drops out of sight. Drops. Twists. Sharply turns. And the night sky is alight with a billion stars that aren't and can't be but are. <laughs> Roman. Hi. Shh, shh, shh. I wish I could tell you now that the brothers went home and escaped the horror of the world we now find ourselves in. But you know I cannot do that. Whilst their story may not yet inspire hope for us, I believe that buried within this is the key to what we're looking for. wake up with your hands tied down with large leather straps buckled so hard that you can see your hands turning a dark shade of purple your ankles are also bound and another strap has fastened around your forehead to secure you down your eyes dart around and you realize you are bound on the main operating table of king's general practice your eyes dart around unable to move your head or body all you can do is dart your eyes back and forth almost like sleep paralysis. You feel detached from yourself as your body is still feeling the effects of whatever chemical has been flooded into the general practice. And just like sleep paralysis, here comes the demon. At the end of the table, slowly, casually polishing his glasses, sits Dr. King, 
His strong, square jaw is dark within an unshaven stubble. You've never, you have never seen him look untidy. And this is the closest. He's still like, like completely, his clothes are immaculate. He's sitting there polishing his glasses, but he is just unshaven. His lips are cracked. His eyes are cool and calculated as he smiles at you. Your mouth goes dry. Your eyes feel as if they are frozen now too. You feel the headband tighten as a pair of hands adjust it. Cold, claw-like hands. You tear your eyes away from King to see Cheryl Wolf, his assistant with twisted, cruel smile, standing over you. She tightens the band around your head till your ears pop and the leather begins to bite into your skin. She shrinks away into the darkness. Uh, Free now from being locked to King's eyes, yours dart around the room again. You see the door to the surgery room is open and you see everyone who came in with you, bound and still unconscious on the floor. But you notice a shadow above them bound by the feet and hung upside down from the ceiling. His wrists and throat are slashed and it appears as if he's been drained into a bucket beneath him. He's white as a ghost. You see the body of Fabian in the corner. You feel your body start to shake in absolute terror as your eyes close in on the crumpled body of Willow cast to the corner of the room like a doll to make room for you on the table. Your eyes dart back to King, mouth still dry as he gets up and places his glasses on the slightly crooked nose. He walks over to one of the windows and pulls the blind to make it rise up, showing you the street outside. Grain her up, Cheryl. You hear the sound of a mechanical lever being turned and cranked, and you feel yourself being brought up like in a dentist's chair, till you're able to look through the window, and your heart stops. King smiles widely out the window, the sunset reflected in his glasses. The sun is going. You must have been out for hours. It can't have even been later than nine when you arrived at the clinic. A deeper fear fills your soul now. Your precious hours of light, of safety, stolen from you. Fabian, dead. Where was Jess? She was going to meet you here as well, but you don't see her out there. If they'd laid this trap for you, what trap did they set for her? I always loved sunrise and sunsets. The golden hours when we feel closest to God. That is, till the moments before death. Those must feel the closest of them all. He keeps looking out the window. But nowadays, I feel close to God all the time. To my God. He walks amongst us. Our saviour. He now turns to you and begins putting on a pair of plastic gloves and examining the many tools he has on his disposable bench. Oh, Miss Kelly... Tell me, how does such a nice young lady like yourself get caught up with such a bad crowd? Really, I mean, when the master finds out that you had this in your possession, he absentmindedly pulls the hunter's blade from his tweed jacket to show you before dropping it back in. 
My, my. I can't even imagine how angry he would be. But imagine how pleased he'll be with me when I give him the blade and information on the location of Weaver. Where you fall in that and what I give him is entirely up to you, my dear. So tell me. He plucks a scalpel from the bench and holds it up to the light to examine it before looking at you. Will you tell me where Weaver is? Tell me where Warwick and Mears are? Or will I take your eyes? You will atone to God for this. Not your God, but mine. He taps on his cheek a little bit. Where is your God now? Keep her still, Cheryl, dear. You feel the leather band tighten and the cruel cackle of what, of what must be Cheryl, even though you have never heard her laugh like that in all the times you visited the general practice as a young girl. King leans over you and examines your eyes with his usual cool and clinical manner. I take it the boy Humphrey found his mother's grave then? Mm, nasty shock for the boy, I'm sure. He says this in a cool and matter-of-fact as anything. You can recall coming here as a child and him examining a deep cut along your knee from when you had fallen while rock climbing with Jess. How he had spoken about the chances of the Mercy Creek soccer team that season against a rival school in such a manner. It was as, it was as if it both was completely interesting and completely disinteresting at the same time. Just that type of tone. Such a shame. She died on this table too. I needed her organs to feed those below. The master wasn't even planning on sending some of us below at that stage, but I'm nothing if not a planner. I took the opportunity to set a little something-something aside for a rainy day, you see. It was a simple operation, but I decided to let it slip through my fingers. As he says this, he takes a single finger and closes your eyelid on your left eye. Do you know... There is no law that says anyone needs to be informed upon the death of a family member. It's just usual common courtesy. She begged me time and time again to call little buddy. She wanted to speak to him. She wanted to see him. I decided it would complicate things too much if people started appearing out of the blue, so I ignored it. I made it all go very quietly. Most people in the town didn't even know. Not many people cared anyway. He positions the scalpel in place. But isn't that just the case? No one cares. Not really. Not truly. There's no good in small towns. Just a little bit of evil. But mostly selfish disinterest. Who cares as long as I get mine? Who cares as long as it doesn't happen to me? No one cares. No one's interested. We all just want to live our own lives and everyone else can die if it means I get to walk on their bodies to keep my feet from getting wet. You feel the tip of the scalpel brush against your skin just below your eyebrow. You feel it make a slight cut, only just enough to bleed, almost like a target. Now tell me, Olivia Kelly, would you rather die young or live forever. 
I already will live forever. And with that, she screams very loudly to try and wake up the others. <laughs> he leans back a little bit. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. He leans back and, like, finger on his lip and, like, tapping it, and you feel another leather band going over your mouth and Cheryl tightening it, and it's biting into your lips and your teeth pressing against it as you shake. She still muffles screams through it. Hmm, interesting, interesting. You see, no one considers the truth of eternity. No one considers how that would affect the human animal. Tell me, Olivia. He dabs a small, the small cuts with some type of sanitizer. It burns and sizzles as he dips his tool into a liquid and examines it again against the light. Cheryl, can you fetch me a 10? The 15 is too small. He looks back to you. As I was saying, tell me, Olivia. What happens... Well, you can't speak, but... What happens if you watch too many horror movies? He's like, <laughs> exactly. You grow desensitized to it. Watch how the genre has progressed from the 50s to now. Things that make kids scream and cover their eyes, stuff that push the boundaries of good taste, are now considered so bland, so safe, that they are considered almost comical. Every new film needs to be more violent, more grisly, more distressing. The human animal grows accustomed and desires a new limit to be pushed. We grow desensitized to what was once too much for us. Now, consider eternity to the mind of a human. Thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of experiences. You will grow desensitized. You will undergo a type of death. Cheryl returns and hands him a large knife, which he examines before leaning over you again and placing it against the small cut he had made. The death of the mind. At a point, everything will become so devoid of meaning, devoid of any event of change, that your mind will simply not pick it up. You will undergo a type of death. You will become like your surroundings, more in common with a tree than a younger human. You will strive for a form of death, and in that state, death will simply be a change of perspective, a change of location, a change of oneself will be death. So. I guess what I'm really asking you, Olivia, do you want to die yourself or live as something else? <laughs> and he dives the scalpel in. Not into your eye, but in a point above your eye and between the bone, triggering the most incredible amount of pain you have ever experienced in your entire life. It has struck a nerve or something like that. It is almost blindingly painful. Your whole body wants to shake and convulse, but you're so tightly bound you can't do it. Sorry, sorry, I've gotten off topic. I do that more in my old age. What was I talking about? Oh yes, Mrs. Humphrey. I had to do the operation on my own. But that made covering it up much easier. Jack was out with the flu, dear boy. Which is good. Otherwise, I would have had to set about dismantling him much sooner. Hmm. We had to discredit him somehow. The papers helped with that. We got Amelia's boss very quickly. Nearly as early as me. But I did the majority of the legwork. I destroyed his entire reputation. Anonymously, of course. I destroyed any chance he had at a career. I destroyed his public image. 
He was about to take a seat as a selectman next summer. I made sure that wasn't going to happen. You can't have someone with much with such mental issues as that making policy decisions. And then I set about poisoning his mind, ignoring him for weeks at a time, then giving him glimpses of hope, glimpses of trust, before dashing it time and time again. I built him up, then I tore him down. Over and over. I consumed him from the inside out. I poisoned him against you, too. I destroyed his trust in you. How could Olivia and Amelia allow for such brutal stories to be published about you? How could they allow letters from the public to be published? Amelia works there. If Olivia was on your side, she'd have done something about it. And now she's calling you, trying to get in contact. Maybe to dig a little deeper. Give her cousin more dirt to write about. Ruin you even more till there's nothing but a black, empty hole. I tore him to shreds in such a short time. You wanna know why? Because he was weak. A weak, stupid little man with not enough sense to stand against me and the master. He jams the knife deeper, erupting more pain. But even as this utter agony flows over you, something else is bubbling up, Olivia. Something stronger. Something that is clearing your vision and painting it red. Anger. White, hot, fury. You hear the strain of the leather bonds, almost disembodied from your own current experience. They squeal as they bite deeper into you. Stupid little people like that just need to sit back and go with the flow while the master steers us. But then he had to go and call for help like the sniveling little rat as he always was. Never man enough to stand up for himself. Too scared, too small, too fucking stupid. I burned the soul out of him and he was still grasping for the truth. Grasping for all of you, no matter how much I poisoned his very mind. He is suddenly cut off. The scalpel is pulled from your nerve above your eye as Dr. King is lifted up, high into the air, his face in complete shock. You feel the leather bond on your right wrist finally snap. Your hand goes out like a flash, grabbing the hunter's blade from King's pocket as he's lifted up past you. You feel movement to your side as Cheryl moves and you sink the blade into her stomach, keeping her back as you see Bud Humphrey lift King up over his head before throwing him bodily through the dividing wall between the surgery room and the front desk. He smashes through it and into the desk, which collapses as he crashes onto it, before making eye contact with Tuck, who is currently undoing his ties and climbing to his feet with utter murder in his eyes, as Tully is also climbing to his feet, coming to stand with Tuck, looking at King. It's time for combat. The knife would already be in Cheryl's stomach, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, so she's just gonna 
literally try and push it up from the stomach to the throat and do a whole, like, swooping motion slice. Because you're doing that, I'm not going to say that's going to be possible, but you can drag it up deeper and I'll let you roll two bits of damage for the first cut and now this. So normal normal damage that we worked out for it. Okay, so it's a d12 for each of those. Alright, so that's a nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first stab, and then the cutting up. And a up. ten. Oh, oh, well done. Okay, so you Liv stab is it. white hot yeah. with anger. Oh, she is oh, like... Cheryl. Yeah, you stab it up, and you, you're going up and up and up, but the ribs stop you from going any higher up as she howls, and you uh, pull the blade out as you're like, I can't really get it. With this angle, I can't get higher than that. So you rip it out. But Buddy Humphrey. Her, her, as long as they, they didn't sh- strip us or anything, I'd like to pull out the, the knife that Tuck gave me all the way back. I'm going to say they took your back. guns, but everything else you've got on you. Okay. Um, Tully, do you have a weapon? No, but I do have an idea. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. I have my, my imagination. Oh, man. <laughs> cool. Um, I was going to do it if he didn't throw King. Yeah, uh, yeah so Buddy in all... Yeah. A, a big rage. Um, yeah, he's gonna pull out the knife that Tuck gave him all that time ago back at the, the, the hospital. Yeah, and we're gonna treat this like a barbarian rage, so you're gonna have two actions per turn. Ooh. Oh, nice. Um, and I'm going to go straight for Cheryl, uh, uh, probably aiming for the throat, I think. Okay. Um, she so. is stumbling back. Yeah. Yep. Right, sweet. So that's an 11, 11 plus hits. three for physical, so that's... A lot, yeah. That hit. Yeah, um, that, that does hit, yes. Yeah. A 14 or whatever it is hits, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, sorry, I had to mentally go. Uh, how much does no, actually, at 15, please, calm sorry. down. How much does the, the, does the knife do? I think it's just a small oh, uh, BJ, knife. Fact check, I will man. consult the law one second. It's either a D4 plus mm. like two or single D6 to my memory. Uh, I love how Weaver's constantly just like, it's not about a the knife. A knife is a D6 Meanwhile, plus two. Meanwhile, D12. Oh. <laughs> Come on, high numbers. Hey, that's a six plus two. That is eight damage. Very nice. Uh, Okay, uh, is she dead? No. Uh, You bring up the blade and you slash it down from like shoulder to hip, and she stumbles backwards. Uh, And then I have my second action. Yep. Um, Cool. Uh, Stumbles backwards, and then you know, just keep on the onslaught. Um, uh, Yeah, I guess go for the knife again. Okay. Uh, that's an eight plus three, so mm-hmm. imagine that hits, and then uh, that's just three damage. Okay, I'm gonna say you do the slash down, and instead of doing the knife again, you come up with your hand, grab her by the side of the head, and smash her down yes. into the operating Ooh. table, and she bounces back off it. Ooh, nice. And she is going to jump and twist in midair and land on the ceiling and begin scuttling around on the ceiling, hissing at you. She's grabbing up vials from, like, benches and hurling them at you guys. Uh, roll... Uh, oh, no, I'll, I'll just roll. Instead of you guys trying to roll to avoid it. <laughs> Liv is tied to a table. <laughs> okay, um... And... Yep. Makes sense. Okay. I rolled two tens and two twos. All right. Um, Buddy, you get hit in the face by what you think is 
what's a medical thing? I don't know. Um, some type of disinfectant. <laughs> your, your eyes just like <laughs> scream as you are hit in the face of this disinfectant. It splashes out onto you and shatters. And then she throws another vial and just like goes over like the side of your ear and smashes on the operating table. Olivia, you're up now. You're like looking at your bonds and you're like, you've got the knife. And then it's just like, as like a file like a piece of a filing cabinet hits you and it's like oh and that was wh- my good eye and while you're holding that like a vial goes over your head so uh just roll bud four damage oh my goodness oh my goodness oh Melanda uh live three damage Okay. I have to math quickly. Um, Did you take any damage for you know being stabbed in the face? I don't. Oh, know. that's a good point. That is actually. a good question. Sorry, she has I'm lost an eye. No, she hasn't lost an eye. It's just torture. Oh, that's okay. all it was. It was just attacking it's the nerve. It's just torture. The nerve. Okay, cool. I roll. Uh, yep. Okay, four damage for the the torture stuff. It's not like I would say. It's just kind of like debilitating stuff like your head it's is more like pounding pain. yeah okay currently. so it's minus seven damage yeah. so i'm half health you're fine yeah, yeah i'm fine she's fine she's fine okay out of this room <laughs> uh, what's going to happen to to dr king i wonder mm, i wonder yep <laughs> um tuck is no stranger to absolute rage either mm-hmm. um, I reckon we'll probably do the same thing for you as buddy the barbarian rage thing yeah that's alright I'm not gonna do that um, Tuck is gonna get up he's gonna see you don't want two attacks per turn I don't need it's more classy than that okay. <laughs> Tuck's not gonna attack him like that well we do also have uh, a friend tied to a table so yeah Tuck's gonna look at buddy and Olivia and think that they've probably got this they've candle. got that old woman oh she's on the roof <laughs> <laughs> never mind mm, interesting um, but he's tall interesting Tuck, choice Tuck opens the door to the room where Dr. King has been thrown no he threw you were thrown right. into the same room as oh, okay. he was thrown into your room that you were tied up in Tuck is gonna like rotate his wrists uh, from where he's being tied and he's gonna move to Dr. King who I assume is trying to get up at this stage yeah I'm gonna kick him over onto his back Okay, uh, we'll just do a, con- a contested thing. Because if you haven't worked it out, they, the reason why they are so tough is they have consumed other humans. Yep. So they're not full fortified, but they are stronger. Semi. All right, a four? Fifteen. Okay, you beat him. <laughs> He's a dry he, like, he like tries to put a hand out and you kick the hand into him and he yeah. gets like knocked I'm over. I'm going to kneel down on his chest and I'm going to put one hand around his throat. And then I'm going to put the other hand, ah. palm out, and I'm going to smash it into the bridge of his nose. And I'm going to try and put everything that Tuck knows about what he can do to other people's brains into it. So okay. He's going to put all of the rage and the fury into a mental attack as he hits him in the head. Okay. Uh, roll of disadvantage to do this because you've never done this before. But still with whatever pluses you have to intelligence. Eight. Eight. Okay, you bring it back and you smash your hand in and there is a flash and you are in that black area, the, the dream world that you have created. And you see, similar to when you went into Tully's mind, you see Dr. King strung up. But he is different. He is a marionette of himself with human skin rotting off it. And you make the realisation of... This is what was happening to Tully. 
and you are out of that. And he shrieks, and his like his uh, spine arches, and he grabs your head and is going to headbutt you. Roll a d twenty of damage. Ooh. Okay. Tell uh, you. Okay. Um, that's. Okay, I think I can kind of still do what I was going to do. Kick him in the head. Um, so <laughs> tell him the shins. As he's in the ball. Like as soon as <laughs> in the head. Yeah, just, just, right, all these voices in Charlie's head. <laughs> Key is shoes, man. Key Mental damage. <laughs> Not uh, my loafers. <laughs> So as soon as Tully woke up and was like trying to loosen his bonds, he was trying to think, how can I attack things because I don't have my gun? I mean, he assumes he doesn't have his gun. Um, so I'm going to run over to uh, to Dr. King and where Tuck is. And I don't know where this happens, like after you've pulled out of his mind or not. Um, yeah. But I'm going to reach into my jacket pocket and pull out a pair of sunglasses that I have. And okay. I open them up and I walk over. I grab, I was going to like put my foot in his neck, but your hand's there. So I'm holding him. So. I grab his jaw and I plunge the like arm, like the metal arm of the sunglasses straight into his eye and like push it in and up as far as I can. And then like move around and push it in with my palm. Okay. Uh... Tully's like, how dare you do that to Olivia? He's literally like literally an eye for an eye. Like he's going <laughs> straight for oh, yeah. Roll a d6. Okay, King slowly turns to you and smiles and says, This is why you attack the nerve. There are no pain sensors in the eye. And he is going to grab you and tuck, like, by the necks Mm -hmm. and somehow sit up, crane up, and smash the two of you into the ground. You're not going to take damage. He's just pushing you off him and he's going to leap back into like the the edge of the room okay grabbing up the couch and he is going to hurl it at you you guys are gonna have to roll to avoid it you gotta beat a five of deep golf that's physical hey. right? yeah oh. uh it's a six okay oh, yeah. yep you avoid no, okay 12. two of you avoid tuck you avoid i'm gonna say you're gonna get another go with a 12 you can you can rush him and like try and get him prone but you can't do more damage to him um so yeah. so what you roll you roll two damage so two damage yeah an unnatural 12 is. And he also has a pair of sunglasses hanging out. Of his yeah, okay, out. I'm going to say for like any vision stuff, see you guys, you can sneak up on me, all that type of stuff. Uh, tuck, you uh, grab him around the stomach and ram him into the wall. The plasterboard smashes in and the two of you bounce off it onto the ground. Cheryl time! Yeah! Stop! Cheryl time! Roll damage for that. Uh, roll a d4. Just because it was an extra ability and you didn't take anger. One. One. Okay, uh, I believe it's Olivia, yes? Mm-hmm. Uh, where would you say she is at with untying herself? I'm going to say you can spend your movement action to untie yourself, to, like, cut all Fully, of those. Finally. Yeah, that means you can't move into Fighting King or anything like that. You're stuck with Fighting Cheryl. Yeah. Okay, you you untie, you uh, slice off the, the leather bonds. They're still, like, wrapped around, but you've sliced them off mm-hmm. the table, all that of stuff. You've hopped down. Cheryl is scuttling around the roof. She is now reaching up, grabbing handfuls of, like, the ceiling and ripping them out and hurling them at Buddy. And Buddy's like, slapping them out of the way. It's go, go. So annoying. Such a pest. Asbestos. Buddy starts picking up the operating table. <laughs> like a fly swatter. Throw it into the ceiling. Yep, so what would you like to do? Um... 
So she's already sliced herself loose with one action, but... Oh, can she see the crucifix anywhere? Uh, really sold on this crucifix. Look, it's metal. You jam, you jam your hand in your pockets and you're like, uh, and you pull out. You're in a room full of knives. Yeah, yes. so you have the crucifix. They didn't think it was a weapon, so they didn't take it off you. Nice! <laughs> See, that's what I was thinking. Um, all right, she's going to throw this at Cheryl whilst Cheryl is hurtling roof at Buddy. Sure. Because she's like, I'm going to try and distract this woman. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, that's oh, a nat 12. Well, oh, 20. Okay, yeah. you throw it, it hits her in the face. I guess she takes a d4, I huh? know. Yes. <laughs> Technically a blunt object. Right? Blunt object hits damage. her in the face. She pauses <laughs> and looks at you. And it's just a moment of like looking at you like, <laughs> like why? What? <laughs> okay, buddies go. All right. Um, can Buddy at all channel what he learned from Warwick with the heart and soul? Yes. Awesome. Um, um, and can he get like a little bit of advantage considering that she is now fully distracted by what the heck? Why did you just oh, throw well, something at uh, me? I'm going to say not because she's still on the roof. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I imagine I can't, like the roof's high enough I can't reach her. I reckon if you like put your feet on the some of the cabinets and jumped and tried to grab her, right. but it would be hard. I'd make um, a roll of disadvantage for that because she can scuttle faster than you can. Yeah, uh, I I like the idea of picking up the operation table if it's light enough. All right, uh, and... it's bolted down. <laughs> oh, okay, but, okay. But there are other like there's the the, tr- the disposable like metal tray that King had all his tools on. The little trolley that, that, that would be on. Yeah, that trolley yeah. stuff that's not bolted down. All right, because um... they can't have the operation table like falling over mid operation. Yeah. Okay, buddy. okay, just gotta cut. Oh no! Oh, no. It's on the all right, all right, okay. I don't, um, <laughs> oh my god! Buddy's gonna take a moment. He's gonna think. All right, heart and soul. He's gonna like go to the the motions in his head of like Warwick punching. Look at the distance. Be like, okay, no, I, I can't heart and soul that way. Um, <laughs> look at what OK just did thro- throwing the knife and goes. Well, I could shoot a gun pretty well. <laughs> uh, and he's got to look at the knife in his hand and just. Go to throw it at uh, at, at, at Cheryl. Yeah, throw, throw advantage, I'd say. With advantage? Yeah, heart and soul. Heart and soul. Uh, oh, good thing too. Uh, that would be nine. Nine. You uh, is staring daggers at uh, Olivia and seems to be preparing to spring off the roof at her. And you bring the the knife back, and you've seen Olivia do this a million times when you were kids in the woods. You, you grab it in the right position, you bring it back and you throw it more of the flick than like force and it spins and hits her directly in the forehead and goes completely blade deep. And she goes limp and falls off the ceiling and crashes into the ground. You just hear limp go, um, oh, As my swan. second action, <laughs> yep. I would like to... Uh, Head crush. I was, I was going to say, uh, if, if there's like a filing cabinet, she, I can she's grab. She's not dead yet. No, she's dead, but you can just do it. Oh, I, I, I am not going to take you that chance. Buddy is still in, like, yeah. he's got his second action. So she was, pulling, she was pulling out, like, uh, some of the shelves from a filing cabinet to chuck at you guys, so you can turn it over on her whatever you want to. Um, I, I, he's just going to grab, like, a filing cabinet, uh, yep. lift it up, like, right over his head, and just bring it straight down on, on onto Cheryl's head. Okay, there and, is a moist sound. And <laughs> as he does it, he's going to lock dagger eyes with Mr. King, if he can see. Sorry, Dr. The king. Yeah. Uh, There's like filing cabinet down, leans on it, and then like, the dog, like yeah. I'm coming for you next. <laughs> Looks Intimidation. Deep into his one eye. He is, he is. Four. Yeah. Okay. Four. Next go. 
Uh, back to the Fire of King. Yep. So that's back to Tuck, oh, I think. Yep. Um, that is eight. Is this what are you doing? To attack. So okay. All right. Thank you for preferencing. Um, I, just, I roll. I roll okay. eight. Do I win? Does <laughs> <laughs> he die? All right, yeah. Tuck, so Tuck smashed him into the wall. It hasn't done very much. He's going to remember something that was done to him not that long ago. Oh, no. <laughs> He's going to wrap one, like, swing his leg so that it's around and behind Dr. King's and, like, get his full, like, the crook of his elbow and his bicep around Dr. King's neck. And he's gonna try and body slam him like head first into the ground. Okay, we'll do backwards. I'm gonna say you're gonna be able to do that, but we're gonna do a strength thing to see if he can withstand it enough so you don't do damage. But I get advantage of all muscle related. You do. Because I am. Okay. Nice. Uh, you like jump to put the weight on and you just stop because he's still, he's just come up to full standing. Grabs you and does the same thing to you and smashes you into the ground. You feel the floorboards beneath you break mm. as you hit into them. I'll make you just take a D4. And uh, he is going to uh, start walking towards Buddy. Uh, mm. Is now Tully's go. Though. Okay, uh, Tully's going to take out a pen. Okay, and you never guess it. I'm going for the other eye because <laughs> you see, he's like he's. He's athletic, but he's not that strong. So, like, blunt, unarmed force, he can't do much damage. Yeah. Like, if I blind him... Oh, no! Is it 12 to hit? Is it 12? Uh, yes. Nice. Okay. You uh, look around to the desk that's been shattered. You just reach down and you pull up one of those uh, extendiatable lead ones. And you go... <laughs> extend it out a little bit. And then you uh, run at him after he's just thrown Tuck down and you... Uh, like, go as if you're going to, like, stab him in the stomach. So he starts to, like, lean down. Yeah. And you reach out, put your hand on his shoulder, and you jam it into his eye oh, deep. Yeah. And you, like, as you jam around, you bring it around so your palms on the back, and you <laughs> it in. Yeah. And you feel it snap against bone. Oh, nice. This is this is good. Right. Juicy. Uh, Spicy. I'd like to take this moment to apologize to all of our parents who are listening. Yeah, sorry, Mom. I'm gonna sorry, say Mom. I'm gonna say it's a D4 plus two. It's a pen, um, it's the eye. Hmm. It's not like a sharp knife. Ob- uh, sharp blunt objects is one D4 plus two. Sharp objects is D4 plus one. Yeah, D4 plus two, that works. D4 plus two. Okay. Uh, I can't add inspiration to damage, can I? No. Everything else. Because I still have inspiration. Four damage. Uh, so it's Four, a five, five damage. A long time ago. Nice. Where did you get five. that inspiration? You gave me a brownie. Right. Ages ago. I, I still haven't used it. I was going to use it there, but I rolled a 12, yep. so I didn't. Okay. King takes this. He reaches down and like grabs your belt. Mm-hmm. And he lifts you up over and throws you into the wall. Okay. And you like crash into it and you fall down to the um, like the couch Big mistake because he now doesn't know where I am. <laughs> he uh, he like reels a little bit. I uh, take a d4 damage. Yep. He reels a little bit and then he looks at the general area where he thinks he threw you and he smiles and says, "Now I am like the master." But he is not always blind. And he is going to hurl himself towards Buddy. So, Buddy, we're going to do a strength test. All right. That is uh, unnatural 12. Okay. So, Bates can see because he uses the eyes of the people he takes over. Mm -hmm. But there is nobody who he's taken over in this room. 
because Tully has rejected Bates mm-hmm. and Cheryl's dead. Mm-hmm. So he's just going for where he generally saw yeah, Bates. Sure. Because he was looking at him with the intent of doing this yeah, before sure. he did that. So he knows where and he is, knows anyway. his place. Like he's worked here for but decades. But he's welcoming yeah. it. He's he's yeah. him. He's ready. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm um, here. <laughs> so you're an unnatural twelve? Unnatural twelve. Unnatural yes. fourteen. Oh. He runs at you and the two of you collide and you're like, yeah, I got this. Wait, why am I getting pushed back? <laughs> As your feet, he's not actually an old yeah. man. As your feet start to slide back and he like puts an arm around your neck and begins scuttling up onto your back and you hear a sink. As his nails extend out and he jams them into your neck. The two of you start to like roll backwards as you are like competing for this. You're reaching up, you're grabbing at him. I'm gonna do another strength test between the two of us. Also another unnatural 12. Unnatural, unnatural, uh, no. Natural, it's a 12 plus three, so 15. The two of you smash into the wall. You're reaching up. You're grabbing him by the shirt. You're trying to wrench him down. He's using that, like that force, to jam his nails up deeper into your neck. The two of you are like sliding from side to side. Olivia, you're still kind of focused on Cheryl. This is happening like so quickly. The two of you, you're you're bashing into the wall. You're bashing into the ceiling. You're trying to jump a little bit. His head seeing into the ceiling. He's like digging in deeper and deeper. And we are both going to roll uh, luck. That's just 12? Yeah. That is just a straight 8. I don't know if I add anything to that. No. Cool. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh dear. You've rolled well Are again. we about to lose a friend, yeah. Jester? The two of you are uh, tussling. You're, you're fighting. You're going for this. You're feeling the na- You're literally feeling his fingernail in your mouth. It's dug that deep. You can feel it pressing against your tongue and digging in deeper. You're feeling it in your throat. You're coughing. You're feeling blood rushing in. But just this, there's this anger, and there's this reali- like this realization of I need to get rid of him. I need to take him out. Because if I can't take him, who else here can take him? And you start to back up. You start to back up fast, faster and faster, and the two of you break through the window. Buddy... You feel everything slow to a crawl. As you fall through the window, you see small shards of glass floating through the air, catching the light, bouncing it. It's like you're surrounded by diamonds dancing all around you. You feel the weight on your shoulders lift as King begins to lift off, falling alongside you. Everything seems so peaceful and slow. You're scared as you fall, but the anger seems to drip away. A sort of relief fills you. She had called for you. She had wanted to see you. The woman who had never given you a moment of time your entire life. In her last minutes, she had wanted to see you. That's worth so much. And you hold that deep down. 
You know you deserved a lot more than that, but the attempt is beautiful. And it matters so much. You're now a few meters away from the window, still falling. And you feel at peace. Whatever happens, you've tried your best, you've done your best. And hopefully this means you've saved them. Your friends. Your best friends in the whole world. Maybe this will give them a shot. There is a crunch and a smash. And we cut back to in the room. Okay. Um, Liv is going to run to where Cheryl is because that was where the main point of action was up until this whole Dr. King thing happened. Yep. Um, she's going to go, like, lift up what she can and, like, pull out the knife from her forehead so that she has now two knives, one in each hand. She's going to go pick up the crucifix and pocket that. <laughs> So she's now got blunt object, two knives. All right, what now? Looks out the window. Uh, Tully, so he sees, uh, his first thought was free live. He sees she's free. And so just immediately runs to the stairs to go downstairs. Okay, you start going downstairs. Buddy, King rolled an eight. And so half that is four. King is dead. Oh. I have seven health. You rolled a nine. Oh. Buddy, uh, so Tully, you uh, blast through the the door down below and you run around to the yellow car. And you see King is like the the car has caved in. King's back is clearly broken on the side of it. He is leaning over it uh, limp. Mm -hmm. And Buddy is in the very centre of the roof of the car. Uh, He turns Buddy over and checks for a pulse. Do I get any last words? Sure. I gave Frank the ability to kill two last people before he died. I'll give you some last Liv words. Liv is looking buddy. out the window at this. Buddy! <coughs> buddy! Hey, Tully. Buddy! I... I think I got him. Yeah, you uh, got him, man. You know... I, I was, I was, I was so happy to hear that my mom, she wanted to talk to you, man. Yeah. She loved you. I, I I guess I'll be seeing her soon then. Don't, (laughs) buddy, (laughs) buddy. Tell the rest that uh, uh, I'm, I'm s- sorry. Bye. Tell just 
lays his head back and sits there for a second. Liv has slid down from seeing this through the window and now she's just kind of like very deflated and shaky on the ground below the windowsill. And she looks up at Tuck. Tuck's there too. Just unable to process. Sorry. Oh, exactly. Sorry. Let me roll. Hey. Get out of here, Caleb. That's hey. oh, If only you were that lucky during the fight. He doesn't feel what pain. He rolled like what, he rolled so well. He rolled <laughs> terrible all the, like the rest of the time. But yeah, yeah. I got an eleven. Eleven. Okay. Um, Net one. Okay, Tuck, you are uh, not looking. <laughs> Your eyes are closed. Um, <laughs> Olivia, you uh, crane back up and you look out. You see Buddy, but you look out to the rest of the street and it is getting darker and darker, but it is completely empty. And you hear the sound of footsteps running. And you see Emily Bell running up the street, throwing her hands in the air, like, Where were you? <laughs> uh, Tully drags Buddy's body off the car. Yeah, as you on the ground. as you drag him off, King falls off the side and crumples on the other side. Tully so he takes was, his jacket yeah. off and places it over Buddy's head. Nine hours, nine hours. We were drugged. Where have you been for nine hours? Buddy's uh, dead. King's dead. Okay. Um, Fabian. Where's Fabian? Give me some good news. He, uh, he's dead too. Mother of God! Emily live starts... Live in Tuck and I are okay, though. <laughs> oh, thank, great. I'm glad. I am, I sound angry, but I'm happy. Emily starts storming up the steps to the general practice. As he's kneeling, like, next to Buddy's body, <laughs> cover, like, closing his eyelids. Emily, uh, like, stomps her way up the up to the key, like the general practice. She, like, waves at you guys with, like, two fingers, and then she just goes over to a cabinet. She starts, like, taking things out. She finds, like, these little, like, glass bottles, empties them onto the floor, jams them down, finds, like, a bunch of different stuff, starts pouring them into a bigger bottle. Shake, 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 shake. Finds another liquid, pours it in. Shake, shake, <laughs> shake, shake. She put, like, jams her hand into her pocket, pulls out a bag of purple flowers. And she pours them into it, shake, 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 and starts just like squirting it into the like the smaller glass ones. Fills them up, chucks it over her shoulder, screws like screws them like, shut, like a bartender. Like yeah. it's that yeah, level. Screws of them shut, jams them in her pocket, pauses at the counter, takes something else, rubs it between her hands, slaps her face, and then turns <laughs> around to you guys. 
uh, Liv has gotten up at this point is now standing next to Tuck and just observing what Emily is doing, going, what? Why? Why does he? Why does she have chive flowers? What? <laughs> Do we find our guns? Um. Yeah, you do some general searching. Uh, you find them in like a locked cabinet of the uh, the desk that was smashed. So you just okay. kick it a bit and you pull it out and yep. you pull out your guns. Uh, there is actually a gun locker in the far back that they use for like personal items for people who come and stay, for, like okay. pearls and that type of stuff. And you find the rifle in there, mm-hmm. the stuff that was too big to go in the drawer. All right. Emily is going to gather the three remaining of you around and like, all right. This has gone about as badly as it possibly could have. Yep. Um, But that's okay. We're professionals. This is what we do. Here is the plan. You need to find the rest of your friends and you need to get to Bates. Okay. I'm going to do the rest. That's all there is to it. I'm just going to do the rest. I'm going to do the rest. I'm going to fight all the persona, one after the other. Okay. And then you're going to do... You're going to deal with Bates. We're going to okay. do with Bates. Yes. She's like forcing a smile. Like, yes. He, yes. Tully nods to, to live and tuck. Yes. Bates is ours. We got it. The streets of Mercy's Creek are silent. Every shop is dark. Leaves are pushed back and forth in large piles by the howling wind. In shop fronts and occasionally on streets, you see carved pumpkins and assortments of Halloween decorations. You make the realization it's Sunday. This is your seventh day in Mercy's Creek. And it is officially Halloween. But no children run around in costumes tonight. There is no point in the celebration of the terrors of the night. Not when the terrors no longer reside solely in the night. Not when the terrors of nightmare have stretched into the house of wakefulness. You walk along the abandoned streets through the corpse of Mercy's Creek. The silence is the only reason you all jump and start reaching for your weapons when you hear the gentle sound of footsteps from along the street. Emerging through the building fog, you see an older man bent over walking as he comes closer and you realise he isn't old it's a young man bent over holding his stomach blood coating his hands laying thickly around his stomach and down his pants pale as a ghost you see Derek Harlow slowly taking step after step wincing with each step looking as if with each he might take his last he sees you. He tries to speak, coughs and falls to his knees. Tully runs over and tries to catch him and roll him over. Yeah, you do it. Derek? <laughs> Derek! <laughs> Jess? Everyone's dead. Everyone. Hey. At your house. Okay, is there anything I can do medically? No, so you look at him, you see there is a large piece of wood about two inches in diameter stabbed through his stomach. 
and on top of all the other injuries he sustained. And also just there is a, a feeling of hopelessness emanating from him, like he has given up himself. And removing it is probably going to make him yeah. bleed out. He, he, you can tell it, he's broken it off. It was obviously much longer than okay. it was. He's broken it off to keep it so that he could reach you guys in time. Okay. Derek, Derek, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> Set a trap. I walked into it. Yeah, same. But uh, we got out. I'm so sorry. He fumbles at his, like, top pocket and can't quite undo the button. Uh, He undoes the button. You undo the button and you pull out. It's not completely carved. It's half carved. You find... You find a handful of um, small amulets um, that you can tell that Jess started carving... On one side, each has your name. And so you can tell that Jess was going to turn this into a pendant that you could wear as a necklace. It's something that fits nicely in your palm. But Olivia on yours has one side your name. The other side, it says, be proud. You're good enough. Tully, you have on one side your name. The other side, be brave, be kind. There's another one for Buddy, and it says, you're never alone. There's one that actually says, Jess, and it says, find hope, be hope. And then last, there's Will, and it says, lead us home, keep us safe. Tully hands these out to their respective owners, and he keeps hold of his and Buddy's as well. You take a moment to hand these all out and you all admire them, look at them, turn them over in your hands and the weight of what they mean hits you. And by the time you turn back, Derek is dead. All alone on the ground. Deflated. Finally. After everything, defeated. him out, closes his eyes, finds something to place over his head. Liv slips the um, small piece of wood that had a hole in it through her necklace that has a single pearl on it, mm-hmm. and so now there's just a pearl and a chunk of wood yeah. <laughs> on her necklace. Okay. Drip, drip, drip. Droplets of rain begin to pitter and patter across the town. 
you hold out your hands as the fog and darkness of evening begins to settle in. Emily checks her watch and furrows her brow. Sundown. That should still be 20 minutes off. Okay. This is wrong. She pauses before looking up. The rest of you look at your hands as droplets begin to fill them. Not clear like crystals, but black like ink. Black rain is falling on Mercy's Creek. Emily points up and draws your attention to a slither of light coming through the pitch black sky. That's a cloud. You hear another set of footsteps. As you hear them, you realise just how dark it is. None of the street lamps have switched on. So Mercy's Creek is darker than you have ever seen it. But as the footsteps approach, a light emerges with it through the darkness. Weaver arrives with Vesper walking alongside him, illuminating the streets. He stares upwards at the giant cloud and whispers to himself, Look yonder, a big black cloud come. All comes to Tupelo. Distant thunder rumbles, rumbles hungry like the beast. The beast it cometh to below bound. He looks over to you. He's quite a distance away. He's grown very powerful indeed. He's a creature of influence. Now he's begun to influence nature itself in this region. He looks to you all, counting your number. His expression goes dark as he sees how many are missing. The Harlow brothers. The sheriff. Jess. Bud. Fabian and Gideon. Warwick and Mears, Orlando, Frank, John, Willow, Jack. Your number has grown so small as you come to the end. He looks to Emily. I've surveyed much of the town. I've only come across his children. I believe Bates is hiding somewhere, somewhere more distant. You have any idea where he could be? Tuck. I'm just going to say there are a handful of different ways that you can work it out. Obviously, there's there are clear answers, but there are I've worked out generally three or four ways that you can find out. Okay. So. Emily is still looking at the sky. It will be a fortress. Somewhere he is safest. Somewhere where he can see danger coming. So it'll be slightly outside of town probably with some cleared ground around it or a network of lookouts. And if this was where his people established themselves, he might have a location that's got significance to his family history. That's very possible. We have a couple of mansions in the area that Mm -hmm. fit a similar description and I don't know which one of them it could be. Technically, there's only one now. That's true. One burnt down years ago, one burnt down yesterday. Hampton's the only one left. Tucker's running a thumb over the carving as he fits it to his... I don't know if... I probably wouldn't have said anything about it since the first episode, but Tuck has a collection of pendants and necklaces and things. Mm. It's this sort of 
unholy mass of stuff around <laughs> his neck that he keeps under his shirt that he's adding Jess's pendant to. And he's keeping Jess's one as well. Mm-hmm. Weaver looks to Tuck and looks to Emily. He knows where. Yep. Hampton. Yep. That's where the last of their family was. I saw it. That's where he'll be. Okay. He looks down again. They have to do this alone. We can give them the best odds possible from here by clearing their path. Things would have been easier if they were all here, but we must make do. We must draw Bates' forces here. I'll handle them. You handle the persona. I've devised a way of drawing attention to ourselves. He checks his watch. Bates is a creature of order, of creating perfection. He even divides his creatures into different ranks. A long time ago, before this reality was set in motion, his people were generals and commanders. They maintained order. This uh, desire for order is set deep within his creatures too. So, what we need here is something a little more human. Some chaos. Some sorta. What we need here... He taps on his watch. ...is a little bit of panic. Suddenly, about 100 metres back, at the end of the eastern side of the main street, oh, the gas station oh. explodes into an utter firewall. Yes! yes. <laughs> there, are exp- there are smaller explosions within it as the gas bottles also go off. The fire illuminates the main street in a ferocious glow. <laughs> yeah. The black rain cutting through the glow as the black cloud above seems to suck all the light from the world. A wash of heat runs over you as Weaver draws his sword and Vesper cracks his knuckles. Um, Liv is going to see that Tully is still holding Buddy's pendant in his hand and she's going to put her hands around that hand and say, you carry this one for now. You're not alone either. Yeah, thanks, Liv. And then she's going to walk over to Weaver and she's going to say, thank you for having our backs. And she's going to be like, I would say high five, but... It doesn't feel appropriate. And then she's going to start no, walking no, Liv, towards the Hampton Mansion. Vesper reaches out as you pass and grabs your arm, Olivia, and he looks at you. She's like, oh, you didn't pass through me. Yeah? And he like, shrugs as like smaller form passes ah. through. I have to have physicality to do damage. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, he looks at you. Olivia... You're angry. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and behind their anger lies fear also. But do not let them power you. It's what he wants. He believes himself to be the master of mercy. But I tell you this. Only you can be the master of your own mercy. This is the moment you decide who you will be. And the actions you will take. The history of the forefathers and of the hunters has been nothing but death and destruction. Maybe it's time for something new. To become something new. We still get to kill Bates. Sometimes we don't get what we want. 
because we'll lose ourselves to do it. And he lets go of you. Okay. Thank you. You might want to have a, a word with Tuck on Rage, but uh, I think I'll take care of that one. Tuck is like visibly vibrating, just like <laughs> shaking so much. V- Vesper shrugs and says, Lost cause. <laughs> he turns away. Um, you disappear now into the darkness, leaving Emily, Weaver, and Vesper. Vesper's glow seems to increase as Weaver drags his hand across his blade, muttering, igniting the symbols on it till the sword starts to burn white hot. Here comes the thunder, he mutters. But it is not the thunder of lightning. It is the thunder of feet. They stand alone, silhouetted against the blazing fire behind them. The fire is now starting to reach out to other buildings in the street. People are now emerging out of the darkness. Shadows against the light, moving fast. Hundreds of them. They are coming from the east side of town. Weaver turns to face them. They're still 100 metres off, but gaining ground fast. Emily, you are facing to the west, into the darkness. But you see them emerging. Mm -hmm. You see them arriving as a group. The Persona are here. Weaver turns to you. Just so I know, what powers do you have, Emily of Tear? Emily pulls out one of the bottles she made in the GP and she throws it down onto her sword, shattering it on the steel and letting the liquid run down and coat the blade. She reaches down. Upon her fingers are two rings made of different material for this exact purpose. She snaps her fingers and sparks, igniting the blade in a purplish fire. The flowers are consumed by the flame and seem to bond with it, turning it purple and filling the area with the scent of Wolfsbane. No powers. 100% homegrown human. But that's going to be better than this. 